Our first reading is from the book of Philippians, halfway through chapter 1, and that can be found on page 1178 in your church Bibles. Paul's chains advance the gospel. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guards and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters <coughs> have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. 
for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. This can be found on page 1249. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there were no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. This will be his, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the word of the Lord. Morning all. Let's pray. Thank you, Janet multitasking there. Father, we pray for the workmen digging up the road. We don't know what they're doing or why they're doing it, but there's a purpose and a reason they're doing it today. And Paul preached the gospel of Christ amid much suffering, tribulation and persecution. So may it be a constant reminder, Lord, as we seek to preach your word in the world of the battle that we face, to have your word heard, your gospel proclaimed, and your good news lived out in the midst of much that would seek to destroy and rob and take away. So we thank you for this word through Christ from your servant, Lord, Paul. Help us be attentive. Help us proclaim your gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my week, part of it, was sat under the teaching of a nun who led us, uh, Sister Sue, who's been a nun virtually all her life, really, a truly surrendered life, a life that has given completely, in a way, to Christ, not without its struggles through health problems and all kinds of things. And she was leading us through a little bit of Isaiah 61, which says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all, all who mourn. Jesus himself read this prophecy out in Luke 4 in Nazareth and was then thrown out of the town, really, for believing that he himself fulfilled this teaching, that God had come. The long-prophesied God had arrived on the earth. He was present in Nazareth, and he was there to release the captives, to take us from darkness into the kingdom of light, to bind up the brokenhearted. He didn't just speak this out. He actually did it. He went on in the ministry of three years that he had, gathering people around him, proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near. Repent. Come. Come and turn back to God. Come and find God's rule and reign in your life that will then find itself upon the earth. But often this rule and reign in my life, perhaps in yours, isn't fully experienced. And the freedom that Christ promises, the release that Isaiah speaks of, Many of us may have seen the program of July the 7th where Jenny Nichols uh, was killed, um, of her mother really particularly, uh, who was a vicar actually. And the journey that she had to make of discovering that her daughter had been killed by a terrorist bomb on July the 7th, 10 years ago, because she had got on the different tube to try and get to work on time because one thing was broken at the tube station she normally went, went to. And that then led her to go and sit in the carriage where the bomber was. And the whole journey of that, of this person of faith, there wasn't actually in one sense much faith in there. There wasn't much expression of the comfort of God in those situations. And then I met Paul Guinness and Alison who are working in Burundi and have had to leave Burundi because of the political unrest and genuine fear of possible loss of their lives in being caught up with the conflict within this nation. They long to preach Christ there, but because of the conflict, they've actually had to get out and leave. And for Alison, who's been there for many years and really sees that as her home, that is such a wrench out of what she sees as being her, her life, really, that has completely changed. And then Simon Gillibo texted to say that now the situation is getting so bad that even Simon Gillibo is going to have to leave, and that is really serious. Simon Gillibo, the man who was on a bus that then came under attack, got out the bus, threw himself into a ditch, found a woman had already thrown herself in the ditch as well to try and be away from the bullets that were firing around at the time to keep safe, which obviously he did. But as he threw himself on this woman, he said to her, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Because you're going to meet him soon. Are you under the Lordship of Christ? Even in that situation of conflict, of possible death, he is still wanting to proclaim Christ and still release the captives. And that's where this passage is this morning in a way. That amid all the tribulations, in all the troubles, in all the chains, in all the noise in the street, we long for Christ and the freedom that Christ brings, even in those difficult situations, to be felt, to be known, to be experienced. And so I came in this week to look at Philippians 1, our passage today, written centuries ago, but so alive with hope and faith in what? In the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that is Jesus. 
Now, in one sense, these are more rector's ramblings than a sermon today, because I'm going to throw some things out at you and ask you a question, and then just for you to ponder that, not with one another, but yourself, and then we'll move on. But under these ramblings, they're, in a sense, held together by three J's, the three J's, which we'll repeat together, jail, Jesus, and joy, jail, Jesus, and joy, jail, Jesus, and joy. So into the, the uh, digging up of the world that we're going through at the moment, you take that this week of nothing else. Jail, Jesus, and Joyce. Let's start with jail. Paul, as Esther brilliantly said last week, was in prison. He is chained. We think he may have been chained to somebody else. And for Paul to be changed, chained in prison is like a concert pianist with his hands or her hands tied behind their back and not able to play the music that is in their heart. But Paul isn't going to be chained in that way. And he's not in chains for theft or for breaking an entry or for grievous bodily harm. No, he's in prison for simply preaching the, the, the good news of Christ. So one of the questions I asked this morning, would there be enough evidence to convict you of this crime? Would there be enough evidence in your life that if a judge saw in this land, if you proclaim Christ as in many lands, they do this, you will go to prison. What is the evidence, as was evident in Paul's life, that he was proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, not only by his words, but by his actions too? Because Paul is in prison because of what he believes, not because of what he has done. And though he be in prison, still in that place, his attitude is one of joy and gratitude. Why is this? Well, Paul knows, as he shares with us in this letter and many other letters, Paul himself was blind, literally blinded, when he met Christ. And then he began to truly see, inwardly as well as outwardly, the good news for himself, that the Messiah had come, that the year of the Lord's favor had come in Christ, and there was going to be release to the captives. There was going to be release from those in darkness, and there was going to be the binding up of the brokenhearted. And so he writes that he's been taken from darkness into the kingdom of light. He knows himself that he will be taken through death to life eternal with Christ. There are two passages that Paul writes about heaven, and in one sense, this is one of them. He knows, as he will later write in Romans 8, this to be true. What then shall we say in response to all these things that are happening? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so though Paul's body is in prison, his mind is set free. That though they keep him captive, he has been released through the power of the gospel because he knows nothing is going to separate him from the love of God. Now that's a deep knowledge to have in a difficult situation with the struggles that he's going through. And what holds you back? What prison are you in where you find it hard to hold on to the truth that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ? Is it that there is sickness in your body? Is it that you're facing a really difficult situation at work that just doesn't seem to change? Is it a particular relationship where actually it's really beginning to struggle and not go well? We'll just hold on for Joyce a minute. She's leaving. Pray for her in a minute. There are different struggles that we face in our lives that in a sense can become like a jail that can begin almost to crush our our faith, that actually that's where our faith comes down to, just sometimes sitting in the dark and feeling, is there any light left at all? For Paul, the light never seems to have gone out. He seems to hold on to the truth that the gospel of Christ has freed him in all circumstances, no matter what that might be. And Paul, through his writing, wants us to see Jesus. And that's really hard in a world that's so full of the selfie, where we have to consider our own needs and our own self. Paul, he is writing about the fact he's in prison, but that's not the main thing here. He keeps the main thing the main thing. And the main thing for him is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That even though he's in chains, he still wants that to be proclaimed. Even though we may be in sickness, do we want Christ to be known through that sickness? Even though we may be struggling where we are, do we want Christ to be seen in the way we are struggling in that thing? Not denying there's a struggle, but how we struggle and know that Christ has struggled with us too and has made that journey into the prison. No condemnation now I dread. My chains fell off, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. There is a sense in which Paul is encouraging us here to hold firm to the gospel even when we are in prison, even when our times of struggle are very, very real. And he wants us to move from the jail to Jesus. And so he writes the church he loves in Philippi, as we heard last week, I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. The affection of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul has for this church, which he planted. One by one by one by one. He knows them. He loves them in the way Christ knows and loves them. And the same love that has overwhelmed him through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul has been simply overwhelmed by Christ on the road to Damascus. And that life-changing event is still a hold in him. Because he was met by Jesus Christ who said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul himself was one of the people who was seeking to destroy and kill and dig up the road, as it were. The good news of Christ. He's been through this life-changing change. And he knows now the good news is the coming of the kingdom of God because that kingdom has come to him. 
and he is Lord. He knows of Jesus' death on the cross. He knows the resurrection to restore people's relationship with God is true because it's happened to him. And he now has that risen power and life within him at work. He was dead, but now he is alive with the very life of Christ. So I want to ask you, how have you seen the good news of God in the last two weeks? What have you seen of the good news of God in the last two weeks? What have you seen God doing, perhaps in your life or in the life of someone else? Where have you seen the kingdom of God come? Not when you became a Christian, whenever that was, but now in the last two weeks. Just ponder that for a moment. Lord, just thank you for what people are thinking now, where they've seen you at work, and pray that you would increase that work. And we pray for Joyce as she, would, for, for whatever reason, has had to leave, and pray that she may know your peace and your presence now, in Jesus' name. Amen. And then, as Jesus instructed his disciples in Matthew 10, he told them to proclaim the good news. Remembering that proclaiming the good news is speaking of it, but also as Jesus did, revealing it through his actions and the way he lived. So how do you and I proclaim the good news now? How are you going to do that in the week ahead? What good news can you bring to people that you meet? And Paul, remember, was doing this even though he was in chains. Who is it that God is going to bring to you. Some people think Paul may have been chained to a, a, a guard. Who may you be chained to this week? And how will you bring the good news to them? How will you reveal it? Lord, we thank you for the people that we are in relationship with in whatever way. And we thank you that you came to bring good news to them that all can have relationship with God. And so we ask you, Lord, to reveal to us by your Spirit the opportunities that we may miss, that we may sense your stirrings where someone is crying out for you. Help us, we pray, 
bring your good news with love and grace and truth to people that you place before us. For we ask this in your name and to your glory. Amen. We we move from jail to Jesus to joy. Paul knew that in prison he could be facing imminent death. And yet he writes, for him to die is actually a gain. For he will go to be with Christ. And this shows to us in Paul that there is nothing anyone can do to Paul that could rob him of the certainty he has that he will see Christ. That he will come face to face with Christ. I wasn't able to go to Chris Rogers' funeral, Pete's father's funeral. But someone said to me, it was like a foretaste of heaven with 900 people there virtually dancing in the aisles for joy for they knew with certainty that Chris was with Christ. That sense of heaven coming and touching earth. So jail nor death can rob Paul of his belief that he'd be with Christ. And this causes him a terrible, terrible dilemma, of course, whether it's better for Paul to stay on earth or to go to be with Christ. He knows what he would like to do, but there is a certain rock-like belief of being inside joy in heaven with Christ that John himself on Patmos wrote in Revelation. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order has passed away. How certain are you of the life you're going to have with Christ? How certain are you of that? And how does this certainty shape and inform your life now on earth? What is your imagining of standing before Christ? And imagining that to come, how is that going to shape your life, my life now? In the belief, we sang at the first song, I believe. Jesus, hope of the notions, I believe We have to believe. We're going to listen to a song now as you ponder those questions. And it's called Endless Hallelujah. One day there is going to be an endless hallelujah. Hopefully we'll be able to sit down during it. But we will be so taken up that some of the words display. And then when the song is finished, I just have one final thing to say. As we move from jail to Jesus to the sheer joy of everything changing and God's rule and reign finally coming upon the earth. Okay? For science off the ground needn't be rocket science. Can you Whether skip? you're studying for career purposes skip to the right. or simply fascinated by science, we have something for everyone. With the OU, you can explore the science behind landing probes on comets, predicting huge volcano eruptions, How 
before your throne, dressed in glory, not my own. What a joy I sing of on that day. No more tears or broken dreams, forgotten is the minor key. Everything as it was meant to be. And we will worship, worship forever in your presence.
an endless hallelujah to the king. I have that imagining of Paul in jail with that knowledge, with that truth deep, deep, deep within him, that he was going to sing an endless hallelujah to Christ who is king, even though he's not experiencing that release, that binding up, that release from darkness, still within his heart, within his soul, within his life, he is free because he knows that Christ is king and he will return and his reign shall know no end. And what strikes me from Paul today is that he was living the endless hallelujah in jail, in the knowledge of Christ And I close with these words from Henry Nouwen. Eternal life, where is it? When is it? For a long time, I have thought about eternal life as a life after all my birthdays have run out. For most of my years, I have spoken about the eternal life as the afterlife, as life after death. But the older I become, the less interest my afterlife holds for me, worrying not only about tomorrow, next year, and the next decade, but even about the next life seems a false preoccupation, wondering how things will be for me after I die seems, for the most part, a distraction. And we've had many distractions today. When my clear goal is the eternal life, that life must be reachable now, where I am. Because eternal life is life in and with God. And God is where I am, here and now. Be that in my struggles, be that in my joy. And Paul believed that the active presence of God was at the very center of his being. Christ had come in and taken rule and reign of his life and heart, even when imprisoned. And he discovered the divine indwelling, that is eternal life. The movement of God's spirit within him, that gave him eternal life here and now. As all falls quiet for a moment, oh, here we go again. The next disaster in the world. We take encouragement from Paul today that as he sat chained in prison, he was filled with an endless hallelujah because of all that his Savior and Lord and friend Jesus had done. He was set free, and he was able to live in the eternity of being in the presence of God now, living it now, seeing Christ now. Let the endless hallelujah begin, wherever you are, whatever you face. Let it begin now. Let it begin now. Shall we stand? Thank you, band.